what the advice you'd give to people if they want to try and make it? These days, you need to have a particularly thick skin. Mm. Um, with because of social media. Because of so largely because of social media. Yeah, I mean you don't lead a regular life really. I mean you have to. You know, if one of the other papers has a story that drops at ten thirty, and like you only have to come wear it at ten thirty, then and you, you have to play catch up. I think every Fleet Street journalist does probably go through that. You know, at some point we might get a call here. We might have to go onto the supplement. And it is, it does actually feel like a big thing. It's almost like a little right, right passage. Ash throws the old curveball in, um, and he likes to keep the, the panelists on, on their toes, which is absolutely as yeah. how it should be. I think it's brilliant that, um, that football fans can express their opinions, um, however wild, mm. um, on a platform that, that, that it can be put out there that everybody can mm. see. I'd say England at a tournament is probably the most intense work that we do. With, with England, like every minor groin strain picked up by a player suddenly becomes a back page story. They've gone to um, a McDonald's to get away from the original uh, bombs that had gone off. And McDonald's literally about 50 yards from the entrance to the south of France and, and a suicide bomber had blown himself up in the crowd outside McDonald's. Hey guys, welcome to Garage Football. It's a very special episode for us today. And we're joined by Don Firefield. He's the London football correspondent for The Guardian and a regular on the Sunday Supplement. Well, Don, thanks a lot for joining us today. Cheers, Don. Um, just wanted to start off by asking, like, what, what's, your, what's your background? Like, where, where are you from? Um, well, I was born in South Africa, um, but I've lived in South London. Uh, since I was about two or three years old, and uh, a stone's throw from Sellers Park. Um, and my mum still lives down that way, so okay. I have uh, I've had no choice in the football team I support, <laughs> surrounded by all these other shows. Slightly <laughs> 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 disconcerted. Need to get a palace while living. So, yeah, that was. Uh, I grew up in South London in, in Crystal Palace and South Norwood, and um, yeah, uh, and still go regular visits to Sellers Park, obviously, these days. Oh, awesome. Um, so, did you um, did you always want to be a journalist? I wanted to captain England at cricket, but that didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, no, I, I, I did a I did a um, an undergraduate degree, uh, which wasn't vocational in the slightest. Oh. Was, you know, history and French or something. It was just like not going to get you a job in, in unless you want to go into teaching. Yeah, didn't really know what I wanted to do um, at the time. Um, and fired off a load of a sort of optimistic work experience applications in the summer of what 1997. Um, one of which happened to be to Crystal Palace Football Club because it was on my doorstep. Yeah, um, that was a hard job, I suppose, wasn't it? Well, <laughs> it was. It just happened that letter dropped the day that the program editor at the club uh, announced that he was going to go to Australia for six right. months or something. So they left them without a program editor and. Uh, the next thing I knew, I was getting a phone call saying, would, would you mind coming in and editing the programme? Uh, for free, I should add, um, for, for six weeks. And at the end of that stint, we, we, it was Palace in the Premier League at the time, one of the Palace's rare outings in the Premier League, and the chaotic season, where, which started with Steve Coppel in charge and ended up with Attilio Lombardo and Ron Nodes taking the team. All right. Um, and getting relegated pretty disastrously. Um, 
But they 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 took me on and they asked me to stay on for the rest of that season. They paid they did pay me for the for the second half of the season, so to speak. And that sort of gave me an insight into a working in a football club, but also b being around a press box on a match day and a press conferences down at the training ground, um, and also just writing about football. Mm. Um, and on the back of that, uh, I decided to to try and break into journalism. It, it took another year in academia. I had to go off and do a postgrad diploma at City University in in, in London uh, in newspaper journalism. But on the back on the back of that that year long course, I was lucky enough to get a, a placement on the Guardian. And, and mm. twenty years on, I'm still there. So awesome. that gave you the platform to absolutely go into that. I do. I mean, it was. There are actually a lot of jobs advertised these days within football clubs for for club reporters, club journalists. Not not all of them are paid. A couple no, of them no. have been have been highlighted on on social media as being it's a bit cheeky to ask ask someone to, to work full time and not pay them any money. Obviously, that's that, that, that's wrong. Before the follow was banned, all the unpaid. Well, it's, 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 yeah, I think, I think that's what's it. been that's what's been highlighted. I think that they maybe they 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 term it. Slightly different, as more expenses paid. Exactly, yeah. but the but the experience it gave me doing that job um, was invaluable. Definitely, I mean, it, I didn't have a clue. I genuinely didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, and and that sort of shaped it. Yeah, that, that sort of gave me the sort of love for for writing about yeah. football. Sometimes you need that kickstart anyway. Absolutely, you know, Absolutely. It's, it's the bigger picture, isn't it? Some people can look at it as cheeky. Um, but you've, you've obviously developed it and taken it further. It's what you learn as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and these days, if you're, if you're, these days it's all about social media as well within yeah. those clubs. So I mean, you're, you're building a, a following by by doing those jobs as well, and that, that will open doors and that will open opportunities for you. Yeah, but just for our followers on the channel, um, you've mentioned it before. But who's your who's your team? <laughs> right. No. <laughs> no. No. Very much Crystal Palace. Um, yeah. My. My young son is now subjected to them as well. Um, it's, yeah, I, I think it went the first game in the mid eighties. Um, Ian Wright scored. Yeah, which, yeah. Oh, hero Wright's or villain? <laughs> hero. It's always been a hero of mine. There was a, there was a there was a bad period of a few years in the yeah. in the early nineties, uh, early to mid nineties, where I struggled with him. But but um, but yeah, he's he was one of the best I ever saw at, at Palace. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always it's always going to be Palace, and then the fact that um, my mother, who never liked football at all, my, my parents didn't have, didn't care about football, even though we lived so close to a stadium. Mm. Um, she now has had a season ticket at Celeste uh, since Simon Jordan was chairman, so it would have been about two thousand, um, and she now takes her husband down down to Celeste, and they 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 suffer like the rest of us. Um, with the dismal home form and the uh, <laughs> shocking results, but uh, yeah, it's 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 in your blood, isn't it? It's in your blood. You can't change it. Absolutely. You know, could be worse. Could be an Arsenal fan. <laughs> no, I think well. <laughs> Wish I am. Unfortunately. <laughs> so, well, to ask them, like, what did you learn um, when you first started working at Palace and and even at the Guardian as well? What did you learn um, as a young sort of journalist that really helped you shape your career? Well, with the Guardian, it was a bit of a baptism of fire in many ways. I, mean, I spent a year, ninety nine, 
two, uh, to 2000, working out of the office, which was in Farringdon mm. Road at the time, um, subbing, writing, um, page layout even, which was a great grounding, again, to sort of see how the newspaper works, see how a newspaper yeah. gets produced every day, how this yeah. effectively a book is produced every single day, mm. um, and sometimes, you know, reproduced for later editions yeah. after 10.30 at night. That was incredible, and, and, and I think it is important that, that every uh, young reporter spends, if they mm. want to work for a newspaper, they have to understand the sort of mechanisms and how the foundation works. Yeah. Absolutely, you need to have an idea of it all. Um, but in terms of, of, of the reporting job, um, I had a head of sport at the time who, who wasn't afraid to sort of throw me at the deep end. He, he, uh, he, he asked me to pack up my stuff. I was living in Clapham at the time, pack up my stuff and, and move to Newcastle and cover um, Newcastle under Bobby Robson, Sunderland under Peter Reid and uh, Middlesbrough under Brian Robson and Terry Venables yeah. that season. Just go and do it. Mm. Get in your car, drive up there, find somewhere to live, do the job. Um, when I look back, I was so wet behind the ears. I, I mean, some of the things that I, I did that season and some of the things I expected to do and obviously couldn't get no, no chance of, of, of doing that, like, interviewing all these people one-on-one. Mm. -on -one. It's a plot enthusiasm. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but you know what? It's sink or swim. You have, to, yeah. you have to give it a go. And after a year doing that, the same head of sport had a vacancy that came up on Merseyside. And this was the towards the end of the season that Julio was winning three oh, 2001. Cup, 2001 yeah, yeah. three mm. cup competitions. And um, the Merseyside reporter decided to join Everton uh, in a head of comms capacity. Um, so they moved me down. They said, to go and find, they gave me a day to find somewhere to live in Liverpool. Um, and uh, I just remember, I remember buying the A to Z of Liverpool in the old days, before Google Maps. They literally bought the A to Z. Looked at the the, the front page, and oh, I don't know the city, but Dingle. That sounds nice. Let's go and have a look for a place there. And I've never been more terrified in my life. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it was so wet, again, so wet. So, it was a great place to it's a great place to live, and a, what clubs to cover? Amazing, oh, amazing clubs, as in the North East. An era as well, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we we had. I was there for six years. Um, and we had Benitez winning the you know, Champions League in Istanbul, getting to the, the Athens final two years later. Um, Everton getting in the top four. Everton, yeah, absolutely. They mm. finished fourth. Um, Champions League qualifiers under David Moyes. In a season where everybody thought they would probably struggle and go down, they were quite on the favourites to mm. get relegated that season. They finished fourth, which is astonishing. Mm. Um, you know, Stephen Gerrard scoring that. So to bring this up, the West Ham, the West Ham games. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible, incredible occasions, and uh, so much happening around the time. And, and so six years there again, uh, baptism of fire. You had, you had to survive. Yeah. You had to find a way of well, making it work. Swim, isn't it? Yeah, in the world. Yeah. Got a, got and then, and then got down to London in two thousand and seven. It's a small match. We're going to cover mm. Jose Mourinho and Chelsea and. I saw Mourinho off after two months. He 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 was gone by the September of that of that year. I suppose part of you know swimming, if you like, is is being able to relocate. You have yeah. to be flexible, and you've had to probably make some sacrifices from yeah, that perspective. I, I mean, that was a time in my life when I I, I could do that. Yeah. Um, more readily. Um, and yeah, and it was daunting. Oh, you know, it took some convincing to to make all these moves, but actually the. The, the head of sport who was telling me to do this 
um, was proved spot on each time. Yeah. And in fairness, his judgment was well. I hope his judgment. Well, I hope he looks back and thinks he made the right choices. But I, 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 I think I did. Mm. I'm glad I did them. And I, I have, uh, you know, had wonderful memories of Newcastle and the North East, Sunderland. Brilliant memories of Liverpool and then and London's been like coming mm. home. For young aspiring journalists, if you like, for sports journalism, what do they need to have? What what the advice you'd give to people if they want to try and make it? You need to be persistent. Um, obviously, you need to be inquisitive. You need yes. to you need to want to to get to the root of stories and mm. and uh, get out of the skin of football clubs and uh, get to the heart of the issues. Um, these days, you need to have a particularly thick skin, mm. um, with because of social media. Because of so, yeah. largely because of social media, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, when I started out twenty years back, if you, um, you you get you get letters of complaint, some of them handwritten letters of complaint, mm. um, some of them painstakingly <laughs> typed out, um, and people would do that, but it's far easier now just to log on yeah, to Twitter absolutely. and tell people what you think of them. And their copy, and 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 also they, they pull you up on mistakes much quicker than these do, which is which is a good thing. And you it keeps you on your toes, and you you know when you're making too many little errors because because these guys, your followers out there, or all the supporters of the clubs you're writing about, they just they they come for you and make sure that you, mm. you know about it. So there's no room for complacency. You've just got to be on top of your game, otherwise you'll <laughs> yeah. And you have to you have to accept that it's. Uh, it's twenty four seven. It doesn't. The hours, the hours are, are actually irregular. You can be furiously busy for long periods and then have lulls, but you don't know when they're coming no. because obviously it is a it's a news generated business. Um, so yeah, that 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 tests that tests you. That means you can't. You don't lead a, a regular life really. I mean, you have to. You know, if one of the other papers has a story that drops at ten thirty at night, you only become aware of it at ten thirty. Then, and you, you have to play catch up. Mm. You haven't got it. You have to. If it's that good a story, you have to be working through through midnight to to make sure that your paper, the last editions of your paper, and the website have that story as well. Um, you have to be prepared to work twenty four seven. You're never off the clock. No, it's not, it's a lot of sacrifice. But look, don't get me wrong. It's, it's you wouldn't not, change it. It's not a real job, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's. it's uh, it's watching football and writing about football, and and uh, I feel hugely privileged and honoured to have been given the opportunity to do that, and 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 to still be doing that after twenty years. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, so obviously you're a regular on the, the Sunday supplement on Sky Sports. Um, what's uh, what's it like being filmed and talking about <laughs> football um, with, with your fellow peers? Well, I remember the, the first time Ash uh, rang rang up and asked. I mean, Ash, you wouldn't mind me saying, is a is a, a fellow Palace fan. We sort of shared Palace's yeah. Yeah. Um, tribulations, trials and tribulations for years. Um, and as as I sort of became more established, I think every Fleet Street journalist does probably go through that. You know, at some point we might get a call here. We might have to go onto the supplement, and it is. It does actually feel like a big thing. It's almost like a little right, right passage to, to mm. be asked to go. It's, on. Gone, it's been going for so long. Even yeah. Jim, Jimmy Hill was hosting it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and Brian will know obviously before Ash. But uh, the 
it, it was a huge honour to be asked. The first time they sort of had me on with Andy Dunn, Sean Custis, um, as a sort of experienced panel to, to work with. I remember the first question I ever fielded on it was about the Champions League final the night before. Carlo Ancelotti had won um, the Champions League final. I think they beat Atletico Madrid, maybe it was that one. Uh, Real Madrid played yeah. Atletico. Um, and I'd watched it, which I'm glad I had, because I was like, And yeah, look, it's, it's nerve-wracking, but it's great fun. And, yeah. and I, I never thought I would, I never thought I would, I would, you know, enjoy something as much as as, as every appearance on, on on that. Ash throws the odd curveball in, um, and he likes to keep the the panelists on on their toes, which is absolutely as yeah. how, how it should be. Um, but he's very very slick. He, yeah, he knows his stuff. Obviously, he's it must be weird for him because he must know that quite a lot of the time he's the best journalist around that table he's the best reporter out of a lot of us he probably knows more than, the, than a lot of us on some of the questions he asks us but he's he is the presenter he's not mm, yeah. he's not the man who's who's maybe written about it that, that morning and it might be in the papers that he's actually got on his desk um, so nothing but admiration for him but it's, it's it's a great show and yeah the weird thing about one of the weird things about this job is is you, you automatically become good friends with people on rival newspapers because those are the guys you're hanging around with all the time. You, you know, the Guardian might send two people, three people to big games, but generally speaking, I'm on my own at matches yeah. as the Guardian. Um, so I'm sort of mixing with, you know, my colleagues, my peers on other papers all the time, and they they become your big mates, your big yeah. pals, and so to be sitting around. A table talking about football, whether their cameras there or not, as you guys know, is yeah, with your mates. Yeah. Is, is what you want to do. Yeah, you forget the cameras there most of the time. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. I, well, I've never seen it. I don't know about I'm, Sky. I'm, I'm always sitting You're there. You're conscious, thinking, are you? <laughs> don't drop. <laughs> don't don't make a mess of this. Just make sure you. Yeah, your answer is uh, is is safe and correct, and, and and what you mean to say. But is there pressure in that though? Because you said about followers of. The stuff you write. I mean, Sunday Supplement has been going for years, and yeah. that's got a big following. Yeah, yeah. You know, is, is there a real pressure there to make sure you say everything correctly? There's a bit of a ritual that happens after a, an episode. Okay. Where we're walking out the Sky Studio building onto in Isleworth and to our cars, whatever, um, and it's sort of almost a test to see who looks at their phone first to see oh. the, the reaction on social media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you know, you, you're sort of braced for the burn of of people either disagreeing with what you said, which is again absolutely fair enough, or or people just <laughs> pointing out how ridiculous you look, or how daft you sound, or or, or whatever. I mean, it's, but you know that that must happen. You know, it, make, it makes you think of a, a, a program on mainstream TV that, that's getting in ten million viewers or whatever. Um, what do, what do those guys go yeah. through? It's natural to have that. Urge, oh yeah, isn't it? yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, it's it's. I mean, I've sat I've sat in um, in the car on the way back um, from there. Off, we you know, if I'm picking a, a lift, say to a stadium for an afternoon game, early afternoon game, and I've sort of plucked up the courage and had a look. <laughs> oh dear, God. Mm. I won't be watching this episode back ever. <laughs> but, 
But it, look, I, for all that, it's brilliant fun. It is talking football with your mates. The croissants are real. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Are they real or not? They're all real. They're all real. The um, one of my again, I think it was my second or third appearance. Um, I was on with a lad who I, I shall not, I won't name, and um, we never touched the croissant. Occasionally, they come in and like break them up a bit in, in the in the breaks. So yeah. they look, you look as if you've been tucking in. But this lad, I think it was on his, he was on about the second or third time we've been on as well, and he tucked into a pastry. And as it was counting down, five, four, three, two, one, to go back in, he was, I looked at him and he had it all over his shoulder. He literally had bits on his mouth and he was like, get rid, get rid. He was going into the thing frantically, brushing It's like Paul Merson on Soccer Saturday. <laughs> but do you guys practice before it goes live? Is there like a rehearsal before? No. It's just straight in, straight isn't it? Straight in, yeah, yeah. And it's a, a yeah, it's, 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 it's filmed as live. Yeah. Um, do you have an itinerary though of what you're going to be? Do you know what you're actually going to be talking yeah. about? Well, Ash, well, weirdly, Ash puts it on social media. He yeah. Puts, he, he puts his Instagram. That's all we get. But we don't get any more than that. And sometimes yeah. we have to prompt him to actually tell us, you know, can we see that picture <laughs> that you put it on social media, please? Because we've left our phones in the in the green room. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, I think that's just him keeping us on our toes. And and he likes. I think he likes it to be natural. He doesn't want it to be look rehearsed. No. And uh, staged. It, it's. I think he has confidence in the people that he gets on to to know about the subjects he's going to talk yeah. about, and yeah. he just wants them to express either their opinion or what or what they know, um, facts on it, on an issue, um, and yeah, it's but it is live. I mean, mm. there's there's no, not much room for error on that. <laughs> Do you enjoy when I particularly like it when Sean Custis and Henry Winter are on because them two just clash so much? Yeah. Do you in do you find it funny? Do you enjoy it where, like, say, a couple of your peers who you go on with, they di really disagree over something? Or do you just, like, this is what, well, it'd, be like, this is what it'd be like down the pub with no cameras? Well, you, yeah, you, you enjoy seeing them disagree, yeah. Um, I, I'd suggest that if those guys... Uh, if you if you took a, a selection of 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 the, the the regulars on that and put them in a pub situation talking about football, some of the disagreements would be more vehement, more they'd, yeah. be, they'd be more heartfelt than possibly they are in front of mm. sky cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like the Henry Sean things almost become a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a that you expect that you'd be disappointed if they didn't mm. clash. Now you expect it's that yeah, character. They're really character in there. They could make it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when, you know, when they're out together. I mean, Sean, Sean's obviously now hit the sport at the sun and not out on the road anymore. So we don't see very much of him out on the road. But um, but when they when he was for years, um, he and Henry seemed to get on like a house on fire um, normally. Um, it's, I think a lot of it is, yeah, it's for dramatic effect. Mm. Um, Makes I'm not saying they don't believe what they're saying. I mean, they're, they're, no, they're, obviously, yeah. they're just no. disagreeing and, and, and fighting their corners, but... Um, Gives them a licence to... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, yeah, there is an element of that. You do... Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the journalists who, who would watch the show um, every week. I mean, I, I, I watch mm. it every week. I, I, mm. I, I find it... I, I'm interested to know what people think on certain... Um, issues. I'm just, I'm just. That intrigues me to know what you know. Lad at the Telegraph might think on something, on, on a, say a Chelsea issue, or the uh, the lad at the Mail, or whatever. And and it's 
I've, I have. I think the last few years they've 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 tried to bring in a new sort of new blood onto the onto the show as well. New new people. I think that's that's shaken it up in a really positive way as well. Um, it's uh, it's always a a good watch in, in my opinion. I know some of the fans out there disagree, but but I. I, I I just enjoy it. I think it's a, I think it's a well put together mm. show. It's very well hosted, and um, it does provide it, it provides a good insight into what the Sunday papers think. Sometimes I wonder whether it could branch out a bit to to covering some of the stories that maybe yeah. have made the papers at the end of the week, uh, yeah. so maybe on the Friday and the Saturday. Because I think that daily newspapers and Sunday newspapers, although the, I mean the Guardian and Observer have have long since merged together with a similar staff. Um, they're almost they're still different entities in a, in a lot of ways, and the type yeah. of story they go for yeah. is different. Um, so, uh, but you know, that's that's up to the Sunday Supplement guys. I think the, there are plenty of other shows out there as well, which will discuss mm. things during during the week as well. So, yeah. I mean, you've got twenty four twenty four hour news sto- um, channels on Sky. You've got twenty four hour radio channels now mm. talking about about news, a lot of which is generated by newspapers still. And I just wanted to ask about the Sunday Supplement, because like, they have the regular guys on, they've got, they've had editors on before, mm-hmm. and not just sports editors, they had a Legends special on yeah. earlier this season with Paddy Barkley, Ian McGarry, Paul McCarthy. Do you think with the rise of fan TV channels, you will have an episode where it's just um, guys from fan, t- fan channels? That'll be up to Ash and the editorial department. The, the thing about the Sunday Supplement is it's a newspaper show. It's, mm. a, it's a show for people in the newspaper industry. Um, now, look, I don't know whether that will change as as more newspapers become web-first operations. But I still think at the moment it's retained its um, <coughs> print press... It's it's I mean the fact the very fact that he picks up the newspapers at the beginning of the show and halfway through the show mm. and runs down the back pages, it's about newspapers. It's always been about newspapers. It's all relevant when yeah. it was half yeah. the back page to through to the Sunday supplement these days. And if they maintain that policy, if it's about newspapers, then I don't see how a fan TV element, a fan TV element, would, would come into it because these are newspaper journalists expressing yeah. what's happening course, in the industry. Yeah. No, exactly. On that note, quickly, what's your view on fan TV channels? Um, so it's quite popular now. You've got Arsenal yeah. fan TV, um, etc. Ball Street, West Ham fan TV. Yeah, the I list think, goes look, on. I think it's a. I think it's brilliant that um, that football fans can express their opinions, um, however wild, mm. um, on a platform that that, that that can be put out there that everybody can mm. see. Um, we were talking before, and I, mean, I, I remember the days where fan opinions were basically encapsulated in a monthly fanzine, physical hard copy that you picked up a, a game for a pound, uh, and that that was the extent of it. Some of those still exist. I mean, yeah. only a pound at, at, at Stamford Bridge is still brilliant. The the, uh, the fanzine they have down there. Um, that's. Uh, and you got the five-year plans just started up again at Palace, but but the fact that you've got YouTube channels um, offering this platform mm. to supporters cannot be anything but but a good thing. It's yeah. it's it's a fantastic 
Well, it's just an opportunity for them to express themselves. I'm not sure football clubs will like it no. particularly because a lot, you know, inevitably, if, you, if your team's just got beat and and uh, you know emotions are running high, then some of the as we've seen with the Arsenal, fans, mm, yeah, they, yeah. I mean, there's expressions yeah. that it, it's it's pretty. It can be quite rabid on there, can't it? But, well, you could argue that some of these fan channels, like Arsenal fan TV, they have an influence in the club. I mean, Wenger leaving, for example, you know, everything, it was so popular, Arsenal fans, TV, yeah, could it have, is that, you know, it's giving fans a voice. They must be aware know. of it. Because they will be aware of it. They must be aware. Yeah, they will be aware. I mean, I'd like to think that they, they're not, generally speaking, the loudest are generally the minority. Yeah. Um, even with, even on the social media field, I mean, when you get, if you get criticised on social media, it's, Fingers crossed. It's usually only a few people. They're the ones that are so worked up. They're going to make those complaints loudest. Mm, yeah. Now, with Arsenal fan TV, with with all of the fan TVs, it they tap into and they and they, they they like the that sort of feverish sense of it's disgust post-match when they get beaten and when they've lost a game, or when there's an issue like like you know Wenger's mm. sort of. The stagnation of Wenger's tenure. Um, um, so it will only, it'll be the loudest voices, yeah. the dissenting voices that are attracted to that. And clubs will have to strike a balance between the silent majority and the, and, and the louder minority. Mm. But they will be aware of it, of course they will be. And, and you know, if, if supporters mount a protest in the stadium, they're aware of it. So if they're seeing this on their, I mean, especially if they're seeing this from the States, and they're seeing it on YouTube. Um, you know, they, they, they well, they've got leaders, haven't they? That's the, probably how some people are looking at it. When you've got banners and you've got all these things which I agree, disagree with, you know, it's and you've got these catalysts that are saying, put a banner up. Yeah. You know, it's is a, that influencing a lot of people? It is. Know. Fan culture's always been there, hasn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. that is the point. It's always, this is just another means for it to express itself. Um, and it, it, and it does express itself, and it expresses mm. itself pretty persuasively um, on through these YouTube channels um, and on social media. Um, it's just another thing that, that football clubs and football and, and mainstream media have to look at and work out quite, you know, how much do we take this into account when we're assessing the mood at a club. Um, I'll tell you an interesting, an interesting one on that, and I hadn't experienced it really ever uh, since covering Chelsea in, in 2007 but last season the the split between um, people pro Maurizio Sarri and people anti Maurizio mm. Sarri um, and I'm I think I'm, it's fair to say that the, the anti faction were largely match going supporters and the pro faction were quite often based nowhere near Chelsea may not have gone to live games but yeah. Some of them, were, a lot of them, were based abroad, and and they sort of, yeah, they sort of tapped into the cult of of Sari. He'd done such a wonderful job at Napoli, um, and but it was very, it was a very distinct split, and you know, we some of the stuff that was chanted at, say, the Manchester United game, the Cardiff game, uh, within the stadium, were it was poison. I mean, it was poison raining down on the manager, um, and I. I I do believe that that influenced Chelsea's apathy towards keeping him. 
at the end of the season because yeah. they'd never seen an open revolt like that against someone that was there on a long-term contract. Yeah, they'd had it from Rafa Benitez when he was there. He was on the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there. He came in in November, I think, and left in in May the following the following year. Um, but he was only ever a temporary appointment. And this was this was sorry. This was the great hope. This was the man who was going to bring attacking flair mm. football. Um, and the people going to the games were chanting what we know they were chanting. Um, and I, I hadn't seen that before. But that there is an example of. Mm. You know, a, a, a loud dissent influencing a football club. I think that was probably more widespread than, you know, the, the type of anguish you get expressed after a one-nil defeat mm. to whoever um, at the London Stadium or or the Emirates. But you know, if if Arsenal fan TV is tapping into a general sense of discontent, as it has been, mm. and certainly did under the Wenger. Uh, turn under the Wenger era then, then yeah, people will stand up and take notice absolutely and I think the main thing is, just like our channel really it's it's just to give fans a voice uh, and the everyday person can discuss yeah uh, well, that can't just that like down the thing? pub if you yeah. like but on camera oh, um, how can that be a bad thing it's, it's, yeah. it's only good especially yeah. those who go every game like the like Robbie and DT Lottie AFCB guys, they might know more than some journalists because some journalists might not go to every Arsenal game, for example. Yeah. And they're watching one every three games or whatever. If, they, if you're going to every game, I go over West Ham home game, I might know more watching it live than some, some journalists who want to see it. If you're a supporter of your club, you, you make it your business to know everything about that. Your club, don't they? I mean, yeah. I'd like to think that. If, if you've got a Chelsea correspondent or a West Ham correspondent or, or whatever, Arsenal correspondent, those guys are all over those clubs. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, expect, yeah. yeah, you're right. If, you, if, you, if, you get, if you're sort of covering London football and you, you know, you, you're Stamford Bridge one week, you're White Hart Lane next, or, um, you know, the Valley the week after that, then you're only going to do things on a certain sort of superficial level. Course, you you want to yeah. try and get under the skin of the clubs. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you obviously you've uh, covered England at um, a number of tournaments, some good, like the World Cup last year. Some good, one good. Some, <laughs> most of them bad, like Euro, Euro 2000 was pretty poor. Um, I mean, what's it, what's it like covering um, the national team? Uh, well, I've done, I, covered, I started covering in 2007, so the tail end of Steve McLaren's miserable mm. spell in charge, the Croatia game, Forever seared on our memories. Um, Wally with the brolly. Wally with the brolly. Dear <laughs> me. Um, yeah, I'd say England at a tournament is probably the most intense work that we do. Mm. Um, always has been. It, yeah, it still is now. I think when I perhaps when I started, it was slightly, slightly more intense still. And South Africa in particular was. Stressful tournament. Um, you have to be over everything. With, with England, like every minor groin strain picked up by a player suddenly becomes a back page story, um, and you make it your mission to, to you know to find this stuff out and and to get it on the back page. Um, and that can be yeah that 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 can be draining when you you know at a tournament for you know 
if it's going well for six weeks. If, if not, like the Euros in 2016, you, you, you're there for blink of an eye, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Brazil in 2014 as well. Um, and there is there, there's a marked difference between covering England until they go out and then covering the rest of the tournament, mm. which suddenly yeah. becomes so much more fun. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's you can you're you're writing about things that maybe aren't, um, yeah, maybe not not quite yeah. as mundane as as, no. as, as, as you know Kieran Trippier's got a silk toe. Yeah. Um, that said, that said. The Russian, the whole experience in Russia. Yeah. The only time I've covered England right the way to the end of the tournament by one day, I mean, third, fourth place playoff, was by far and away the best mm. that I've experienced. It was, it was just, it was brilliant. And it was so nice to have positive things to write about, um, about England's performances and, and, yeah. and the mood around the place yeah. and, Morale, and the impact everything. that Southgate had made. It was just, it was just, Fantastic, um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I I still think of all the tournaments I did. The first one I did, two thousand and two, yeah. in Korea, was probably my favourite. And I wasn't covering England; it was just covering no. teams in sort of Busan and Ulsan and a bit of Seoul. The squad um, that should have done well. Ultimately. They should have done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember watching, yeah, on the box ahead of a game, the game against Brazil, England Brazil. But uh, but yeah, look, we've got a successful England mm. team now. We've got a team that we can get behind and. And enjoy watching. Definitely. But on that though, so you had mentioned that sometimes certain games can be a little bit mundane in terms of what you can report. How do you keep yourself motivated? It's not the game so much. It's more the um, it's more the sort of the, you know the, you, the fact that, yeah. that you know if so and so turns up fifteen minutes late for training, it's suddenly an issue. As opposed to um, if it was a club team, it wouldn't really hmm. make sense. But it's because of the the focus so much on it. I mean, the whole of the the whole of the Sporting media seems to focus on England at, at, at a major tournament in this, in this country. Um, you get and that you know people look at that and think that's them waiting for the team to fail. It, it really yeah. isn't. Of all the people that cover England, the people that really want them to do well are the journalists who have to sit through the, mm. the worst times. I mean, there's nothing Persist worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Going out in 2014, going out in oh Bloemfontein in 2010 for that matter. Oh my God. Or against Germany. Yeah, four yeah. one, yeah. and and and, uh, and Iceland as well in twenty in twenty sixteen. It was just these are miserable moments, and they're not nice things to cover. They're interesting because because it's it's a size. It feels like a seismic moment every time England mm. goes out. Um, but you're desperate for them to do well, and which is why the mood was so brilliant in Russia. Um, and 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 why everybody was so desperate for them to you know just to hold on against Croatia in the in the in the semi final? Um, it's yeah, there is a lot more focus on England at the tournament. That's just the reality of it because the whole you, you sort of become aware of, of the, the the nation going mad in your absence and mm. and you see the, the you know the box park pictures of everybody chucking their pints up in the air. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, they are actually. Getting properly behind these these guys now, and you desperately want them to do well. You know, England always finds a way to to slip at the last. Yeah. But you know, I still think 
what Southgate's done has been brilliant and what the team is developing into is brilliant yeah. and no, it's a great time yeah. to, to cover it. Totally yeah. Certainly progress there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Look at the young players we're bringing through, it's incredible. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned 2002 there, um, you know, as part of the Golden Generation team, Euro 2004, the World Cup 2006 as well, got to three quarterfinals. Mm. Why, um, why do you think those squads never got to a semi or a final? Well, they weren't very good at penalty shootouts. <laughs> um, always, we, we found a way each time, the team found a way, um, contrived to find a way to, if not implode, maybe to sustain self-inflicted injuries, um, whether that be sort of, you know, sending off, Wayne Rooney sending off, um, go back to 98, Beckham sending off, mm. um, semi-fit players, I mean, they're, 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 I, I, uh, my colleagues, some of my colleagues have banged the drum quite loudly about the fact that we need a mid-season break to make sure that the, the national team is fresh come summer in the, in a major tournament, and I can see there's a logic to that, I don't agree with it, because I love my domestic football mm. and, and I wanna I wanna be watching a constant drip feed yeah, of, yeah. of of Premier League championship football, whatever. But yeah, that that is probably one reason. It's an incredibly draining season. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the most physically um demanding divisional league out mm. there. And yeah. so it shouldn't be a massive surprise that when they get to the summer finals and we're asking them to suddenly go again that they're that they're blunted, that they're that they've they're knackered basically, and I think Southgate. One of the reasons they did so well last time was that Southgate struck upon a formula mm. in terms of giving people breaks and like staggering the, the the link up to the national squad after the domestic season, and making sure that he gave them the best chance to be in a to be fit and prepared for mm. the tournament. And it's taken a while for any managers to really clock that yeah. as possible, mm, yeah. or even to be given the leeway to do that I mean possibly unfair on his predecessors there. yeah but it, it will happen eventually yeah. it will happen eventually we I mean I thought this summer might provide silverware um, I think we all did yeah I think it's the first time in years that we actually believed yeah you know, and uh, but it's exciting now to you know England have got a for example a friendly coming up you it sometimes was an inconvenience, yeah. You know, for for most fans, well, we're looking to actually yeah, go to no. a game. Like, that's how, like <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, before you, where you wouldn't go? No. Like, if it was like a friendly against some like Liechtenstein or something, or, or qualify. I think, well, well, that that's that's a very <coughs> shrewd. I mean, we, we don't often congratulate you for 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 for, for, for you know for for the fixture scheduling or for. Um, the demands they place on the international teams, but actually the Nations League and, and creating those autumn internationals against Croatia and Spain. Really good. Was an excellent yeah, idea. Yeah. Really, really good idea. And um, hopefully, I mean, England will qualify for, for 2020. Um, they, they, their qualifying group is not daunting. Mm -hmm. um, there's some nice, nice trips still to be had and some winnable games still to get to have. Um, but come next summer, where you've got games at the semi-finals and final at Wembley, there's an, a big opportunity, there. there's yeah. an opportunity. Um, just finally on England, like, 
you and the, and the other English journalists, do you guys celebrate an England goal, or are you just so focused on covering what's happened that the emotion goes out of it? We try and say properly professional. Um, I can, I'll admit that a few didn't go up, not in the way that a fan goes up, as in goes wild yeah. and throws a drink in the air, whatever. <laughs> but there was some punching of the air yeah. during the penalty shootout with Colombia. <laughs> Sweden just felt like a formality. Yeah. Right? They absolutely yeah. bossed I said at the time, that it felt like a international friendly yeah, in like March was, or something. No, it was. There was no drama to that no. occasion, was there? But Colombia, there was, and it felt that felt like a properly big moment. Um, and then we, you know, there was excitement when Trippier scores against Croatia. There, there, yeah. there, there is, there's this, because there's this latent desire for the national team to do well. Um, likewise, you could say that you know we, I cover I cover my team. Um, and I try. I don't celebrate if if Palace score. If Palace score, <laughs> but it must um, test you at times. Yeah, it has tested me. I remember yeah. um, when we were in the Championship, and I was covering Liverpool Palace in a cut replay, FA Cup replay, and Palace won two 0 at Anfield, and I was sitting next to the sports editor at the Independent at the time, who's also a big Palace fan, who'd come up from London for the game. And we were under the desk, punching the air like this, but not visibly. You couldn't. I mean, I was surrounded. I was literally as close as I am to you. I was Liverpool fans were there, cursing Emil Heskey. So I mean, it's it's, it's, it's um, yeah. You have you can't you can't be seen to be to be going you know berserk, and you're not. You have to remind you're not cheerleaders. You're there to do a job, um, but. Um, but inside, yeah, my God, when Trippier scored, and you, yeah, it's fantastic. This is brilliant. Yeah. Of course, of course, that elation is there. It never goes. But we're we're fans as well. Yeah. So. yeah. Is that the downside to your job? Would you say, in the sense where you have to be? Spot yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it's made me appreciate going to games yeah. as a supporter more, because yeah. I mean, I had a I had a day where um, last season in the in the cup again when I had a free weekend. And I went as an away fan with um, my brother and a mate, a couple of mates. We went to the Doncaster Palace FA Cup tie. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like a proper day out. And, and you know, people are doing this every weekend, lucky things. And we can't do that. But then, you know, the counterbalance of that is I'm, I get to go to games. Mm -hmm. I, I get to travel in Europe and watching Champions League or Europa League games or England matches. I'm not paying for them. I'm, I, when you talk to the guys and you realise what people fork out to do this, um, and you talk to travelling supporters, you have to feel privileged that you're in this position. Oh, absolutely. You can actually watch these yeah. without, yeah. without that incumbent. But, yeah. but yeah, you know, I, I can. It makes you appreciate the games you are there as a supporter yeah. more. But on that, what would you say? It's going to be probably quite a hard question, but what's probably the best game you've covered? Is there? Is uh, there Istanbul. Yeah. Yeah, that was just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean. <clears throat> that was properly ridiculous. Um, Liverpool have still have that capacity to um, to pull results out from nowhere that you, you, you cannot envisage. Um, and that 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 night, um, I think it was the third man. We had four people there, I think, 
And I was as a Merseyside correspondent, I was the third man. Um, the football, so the football correspondent was writing the match report. The chief sports writer at the time was a man called Michael Walker. I think he was he was covering that game. Um, and he decided, we had a chat pre-match as to what his theme would be of his piece. And this was the game that where, from nowhere, Harry Kuehl suddenly gets recalled to the Liverpool team mm. for the final. And it's like, he went off, didn't he, he, early. What's he doing? Yeah. So he said, I'm going I'm to do Harry Kuehl. So I said, oh, fair enough. Okay, well, uh, I'll do something on Stephen Gerrard. Um, and then the fourth man was going to do the quotes and ratings. Anyway, so 18 minutes in, Kuehl's limping off, and, and poor Mickey Walker's sitting there thinking, oh, what am I going to do? And he ended up writing a big piece about Milan, which, you know, at half-time when he's filed half of it, is like Milan, untouchable, incredible, 3-0 up, absolutely bossing this, they're fantastic. I'm sitting there writing about Stephen Gerrard, writing a piece saying, oh, this is half-time, this, oh, this is the man, this could be this last game, Chelsea, Chelsea hovering in the sidelines, uh, unable to influence team, it's all going wrong around him, you know, where's this leave Stephen Gerrard? You know, 20 minutes in the second half, yeah. uh, we've written all that up, he, Mickey's, <laughs> Mickey's gone complete bottle as AC Milan, um, and I've, I've, got, I've got this story that's just dropped in my lap with Gerrard doing what Gerrard did that Goal night. moment, yeah. Just unbelievable, and yeah, from 3-3 the, from three, three, there was only ever going to be one winner. Yeah. Only even with Didex heroics, I don't think everyone winner. It was just the most ludicrous game of football ever, and they're the best ones. The mm. ones that, on a similar vein, um, I did a. I was the second man, the colour piece writer at um, Palace Liverpool in tw early 2014 or May 2014, and uh, had to farm a copy at 80 minutes. Okay. Um, so the Cristian Ball one. Cristian Ball. So 3-0 to Liverpool. 3-1, I think Palace pulled one with about 78 minutes. And I filed a piece saying Liverpool's still very much in the title race here because they, they, would, they, you know, they would have been clear of, of City. Goal difference would have probably come into it ultimately. Mm, yeah. But they would have been clear. Uh, two points, I think, of, of clear. And real chance of, of winning that title. Filed my copy and then spent the rest of the of an evening when I would normally be out in the stands going absolutely berserk with happiness because Palace have clawed back to 3-3. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, bloody hell, I'm going to have to rewrite this now completely. <laughs> this is, my copy is, is completely blown out of the water. And it was the one time, the one game I, I, I watch, every time I watch that now, or every time I see those goals now, while I absolutely love watching you know, Dwight Gale score those two goals, part of me is sitting there thinking, that really ruined your evening. <laughs> Utterly ruined your evening. How long did it take you to rewrite that? Well, yes. It was an eight o'clock kick-off on a Monday night. It had to be filed on 90 minutes. It had to be filed, on, otherwise you miss edition. Um, so, so it was a case of spending those last 10 minutes after filing the, the complete version that said that Liverpool were back in the title race. So spending the next 10 minutes Liverpool have completely imploded. The title's gone. Isn't that this, this is it now? And and then thankfully, um, you get once once that's gone, that edition goes at ten o'clock. You then get a couple of hours to rewrite, um, and you can make it readable. Because in that situation, you just had a no, emotions all over the place. No, yeah, it was just. I mean, yeah, but that, that that's happened a lot. The first. The, the first time I got taken to a game when I was on work experience at the Guardian, 
um, one of the writers took me to a match, uh, Charlton against Spurs, to show me how a runner's written, a, a night game, a live game, where you write everything backwards. You write, a, you send a big chunk at half-time, and you send the, the last third with about 15, 20 minutes to go, right. and you send the intro at the last minute. Um, half-time is 1-0 Charlton, Charlton all over, the, bossing it completely. Um, so I think 75 minutes he sent his second lot saying, Spurs are coming back into this, but it's still 1-0 Charlton, so he's still very much yeah. still Charlton. Spurs all over the shot. Spurs scored four times in the last ten minutes, yeah. one, four, one away. And I, I, so I, even with the structure that you've yeah, got, I mean, you, it just goes out suddenly, the window. Suddenly you're thinking, well, I've got, I've left myself 200 words at the top to encapsulate a complete turnaround of a game. Um, and it, I, I mean, it was it was a brilliant one to to see how it was done because Paul John Brockin, who was writing it, he didn't get reduced quite to a gibbering wreck, but he was close to it. Um, <laughs> Every time, I think it was Ginola who was just going berserk. He was just uh, scoring these wonderful goals left, right and centre. And, uh, and you know, he's sitting there thinking, nothing I've written so far makes sense now. It's all been blown out of the water in the last 10 minutes. But that's just one of the perils of newspaper journalism. Yeah, absolutely. When you've been um, covering games, have you had any funny, like, technology mishaps or anything bad happen to you? Uh, well, I've, you know, I've seen people drop computers. Obviously, I'm treat or guardian um, IT with the old. My, oh, of course, it's better than less. No, I think I've, um, I think I've scoped on that front. I'm, believe me, I'm probably one of the more IT proficient members of the press pack. Um, I've, um, I've been able to be of use by being able to touch type, which which is helpful in post-match press conferences in terms of getting quotes to people and getting sort of passing them around, which has gave me a few brownie points over mm. the years. Um, yeah, I even know how to use email. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. But um, so you mentioned as well, though, obviously best game, Istanbul. What would you say is the sort of highlight of your career so far? Well, look, it's been brilliant to cover games like that, to go to European Cup finals, to go to World Cup finals, to be in the American R, to watch one of the worst games of football ever, but it was a World Cup final. Um, you can't, you, you know, you're spending time in Rio at a World Cup and you're sitting, you're, you're mm. I mean, this isn't real life. This is, this is That's going to be the pinnacle. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. But in terms, of, in terms of journalism, in terms of what I'm proudest of having written, um, I was lucky enough to be put on a project um, just prior to Euro 2016, um, which took me to Paris um, and uh, um, trying to find out a bit about the, the terrorist attacks that had taken place um, sure. the previous year yeah. uh, at the start of France and uh, talking to some of the victims of that, talking to the Minister of the Interior. Um, uh, talking to the police, talking about preparations for the tournament, but also, um, you know, the, the emotionally speaking, talking to, to to some of the guys who were actually there that night yeah. when the bombs went off, yeah. and they they still got the Cheers. shrapnel yeah. wounds in them, and yeah. you know, we talked to a, a man called Acha who who um, 
his wife had been seriously injured and still in a, in a wheelchair after what happened. At, they'd, been, they'd, they'd gone to um, a McDonald's to get away from the original uh, bombs that had gone off. A McDonald's literally about 50 yards from the entrance to the start of France and, and a suicide bomber had, had blown himself up in the crowd outside McDonald's. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and we, 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 he, he wanted to talk about it because he felt as if it hadn't enough hadn't been made of it in in France as to you know mm. the extra people they felt mm. let down by the government they felt let down generally by society they'd been sort of forgotten particularly given it was a few months before you know football came back to France came to yeah. start of France for the first time for a major tournaments in 1908 um, so we we traced back the steps of what he'd done that night and where he'd been, and he sort of showed us. I mean, it was amazing. They, were, they, they hadn't even changed the, like, so they have like gate H or something up on the, you know, as you go into the ground. There was bloody shrapnel marks in the gate oh, H at the top, yeah. lampposts where he'd been standing, and he just sort of, I hadn't noticed, I had to walk past it two or three times, and he said, no, look, come look, and he, he sort of, there's these massive gashes in the in this lamppost, a metal lamppost, and, and you, you sort of got an idea of quite what they'd gone through, and it's it was that was really moving and really um, a, a project that it was, wasn't easy, but it was really fulfilling. And we got, we got a wonderful message back from him from after yeah. after the after publication, where he just sort of said, "God, the English do it real. They, they, when they do it, they 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 do it really well, don't they? And make a make a point of doing things well." And that, that was really, really fulfilling. And the other one, which I'll, the other one which gave me a sort of sense of pride and I hope helped to help the person involved was the um, Stephen Corker in, interview, um, right. who when he when he decided he wanted to talk about his his depression, his his um, his gambling and drinking addictions, yeah. um, and to sort of offer an insight into why a player who'd won an England cap in 2012, um, was sort of languishing in the reserves in a championship club. Um, and yeah, that was, that, that again took a lot of time because you, you're basically asking somebody to bear their soul. Yeah, yeah um, All their demons are out there, everything, everything's exposed, they feel they're fragile anyway. Um, and I'm thankful to say that on the back of that we became quite good friends and, and yeah. still in touch and, and that was, yeah, I think he, he looks back on that with a sense of yeah, hopefully people benefited from, from me coming out and saying all that stuff. Mm, that's incredibly yeah. rewarding to, yeah, to yeah, be able to do that. to be in a position yeah. where you can do that. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing those with us. Um, so you mentioned Stephen Corker there. I mean, that was, well, memorable was probably not the right way, but it was um, certainly a very interesting, mm. must be one of the best interviews you've probably ever would have done. Uh, are there any others that, that stick out in your mind? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I love the interviews. The interviews are probably the favourite aspect of it all. You can yeah. you can sit down with someone. I've, I've been lucky enough to sit down with, with Eden Hazard twice when right. he's at Chelsea, which is <coughs> brilliant. He's a great value. He, he, sort of, he knows why you're there. He, he wants to be interesting. He wants to, to tell you something. Um, Tracy Mourinho, he was the type of person that, that when he sat down with him to do a one-on-one, -on -one, he had worked out what he wanted to say and he was going to make sure he said it, whatever happened. 
Um, so you, you knew you were going to come away with, with something of value, um, which of interest. Mm. Um, but look, I've, I mean, I can go... I, <laughs> I, I did an interview with, with Neil Ashton, actually, when we were the first two to interview Wilfred Zaha for a, for a national newspaper, for national newspapers, rather. Uh, just prior to his England call-up in, in 2012, which was a controversial interview, thanks to some of the, the furniture on the pieces uh, and some of the quotes, but, but it, was a, it was just lovely to, to meet this kid who was a, a complete genius, an absolute genius, and, and he, he was almost like he was... A, he, he knew he was good, and he knew he could get better, and he had no fear whatsoever. He had that wonderful sort of, what have I got to be scared about? I'm, you know, I'm as good as anybody out there. And, uh, and to hear him say all that was was brilliant. And, and he, I mean, I love Wolf to bits. I think he's the best player I've ever seen play for Palace. And so to have a chance to interview him was was, was I was very lucky. Um, and you could say the same for Wan Bissaka last season. I mean, going back to Wan Bissaka's school with him, uh, old school, and and seeing the adulation that you know, two hundred school kids. Um, squealing with delight as he walks into mm -hmm. the into the hall. I mean, that's that's pretty special moments. Exactly, you see him uplift people's spirits. Yeah, you know, and that's, yeah. that's so important. Changing subjects a little bit now. I thought many of your colleagues have written books. Yeah, um, is it something you're looking to get into? I don't know whether they have the time. <laughs> um, I've done bits and bobs. I, I've um, I had a collaboration with a, a French author. Um, maybe about 10, 11 years back, and we did a, a book on Wenger and a book on, mm. with, uh, we did Robert Perez's um, autobiography, um, and I sort of helped sort of translate it and edit it into mm. into English. But um, in terms of writing my own, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd love to. I, I would, I, of course, I'd, I mean, I, I do think that to have a, I've always been very proud, but to, to hold a newspaper and show something that I've written, is, is a yeah. fantastic feeling. To actually have a book and do that would be a, a different level. Yeah. But It'd be an interesting read, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd need to find yeah. the time to do something. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so obviously you've been a, a journalist for a number of years now. I mean, um, one of your peers from a few years ago, Paul McCarthy, he's got his own sort of management PR firm. Do you think you'll ever leave the journalism industry and to move into something else? I guess it depends whether the, the world of journalism has had enough of me or not. I don't, I, uh, it's, I, I don't envisage it. No, I mean, yeah. but but journalism is changing all the time, and and that um, you know what I started off doing twenty years ago isn't what I do now, and in another ten years' time, you know, when I won't have paid off a mortgage yet, so I'll have to. I'm still working, and it's. I don't, I don't know what journalism will look like then. I, I just don't know. It's no one does. No. Um, it's developing all over. T you know, when, when I started the Guardian twenty years back, the internet site Guardian Unlimited was in a separate building around the corner, um, and it had a minute staff, and largely whose job was to copy and paste articles that had been written in the paper and put them online about midnight, so that the, what was in the paper was reflected online. These days, 
it's it's web first. It's web first. It's it's, yeah. it's a website first and a and a paper, uh, a, a trusted and respected and a paper that we all love working for, um, and have loved working for throughout. It carries a good name, but it's a website first. And that just that just shows the, the sort of adaptation of journalism over the over that twenty year period, but. But it's a shrinking industry, the newspaper industry. The, 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 I mean, it's not all down to me, but when, when, when I started working at the Guardian, we sold 400,000 papers a day. I think we're down to under 200,000 now. Yeah. They can't all be because my intros are rubbish. It's, it's <laughs> because the industry is shrinking. It's just a way of the times now, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and it's just instant for people to be on the train, get their phone out and, and, yeah. and read it first. And the Guardian, in fairness, the Guardian has been one of the first papers to embrace the whole internet revolution in terms of media. Mm. The, 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 the app is, is, is good, it's excellent. Um, people can sit there and read The Guardian um, yeah. and they can read The Guardian whether it be a live blog or whether it be you know articles that have, have been in that morning's paper or going in the following morning's paper. That, that, is, that is the beauty of it and it's, it has adapted really, really well. Um, but it, you know, it can't stop. It's got to keep going. It's got to keep finding new ways to, to stay on top of it all, and, and which will lead it down different roads in the next ten years. Yeah, that's exciting to see. Um, in terms of football agents, do you think they tend to have too much power in today? In terms of journalism, or in terms of in football? The, yeah, football. Yeah. Um, from well, your perspective, yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't you don't like to see large amounts of money disappearing out of the game. Um, when you see some of the fees involved for the super agents in particular um, over big money transfers, yeah, you, you, natural reaction is one yeah. word. I mean, look at the fees that United are paying here, um, whether it be on Pogba, Lukaku, whatever. Um, just the, the table of agents fees, not yeah. even in the Premier League, but even in the Championship, it's just it's insane. But then the other thing about it is, is it, that is how the work, the game works. That is yeah, how the cool. game evolves and how the game operates. It, it may not be right, but it just is the yeah. reality. Um, deregulation of of agents and and representatives um, and intermediaries. Could go the other way next and try and get them all regulated again. You never know. It's just the game doesn't seem to know how to cope with that phenomenon. No. Um, the authorities don't know how to control it. Maybe the authorities don't want to control it. I don't know. Um, it's there are some brilliant agents out there, absolutely brilliant agents who look after their clients, who deal with all aspects of their lives. And you know, some footballers, plenty of footballers, are big kids. Um, kids who suddenly having these huge figures thrown at them, massive money. Mm. There's no reason to. Why should they know how to cope with all that stuff? So you employ people who are specialised in that subject exactly. to do that, and that's what good agents do. Um, e even even relative terms, go to League Two. Given you know the size of mortgages and the size of people's earnings, again you need people to, to help it, it yeah, and to manage it. Yeah. But Inevitably, in every industry, whether it be football agents, journalism, YouTubers, there are there are 
dodgy people out there that, that will try and make mm. money out of it um, and try and exploit it. The hope is there are more better than than, than bad. But um, I know plenty of really good agents who I'd I'd, uh, I'd trust to to do the best for their clients. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those agents might work for a club and do the best for those clubs as well. So. Absolutely. So in terms of um, the journalism industry, do you think it's harder for younger journalists now who are entering the industry? I think it's, it's harder for young journalists to enter the industry if they're, if they're thinking along the lines of I want to work for a newspaper, I, want to, uh, I just want to do this, I just want to do that, I want, I want, I want to be... Bit, when, they, when they don't think outside the box, when they're not mm. willing to adapt um, and appreciate the changes that have been happening. The, the traditional routes into newspaper journalism, I don't think, exist to the same extent now. Um, yeah, courses, you know, academic courses might get you a placement, but they might not get you a work play placement that will mm. make it worthwhile. Um, uh, local journalism isn't what it was. It's been, again, it's it's been shrunk down, it's been dumbed down to a large extent yeah. so you can't sort of go and spend five years on a local paper and, and and develop a contacts book and a reputation and then get picked up by a national as easily now as you could do 20 years back that said there are more journalists I imagine now than ever before on the back of what the internet mm. offers um, so the opportunities are still there but it's Instead of saying I want to be a newspaper journalist, you, you you want to be a journalist. You want to be someone who can, who is probably more web proficient than than paper proficient, who is has other skills, whether they be video journalism, whether yeah. they be audio broadcast, you know this. Mm. Um, if you've got those skills, I still think you'll find a route in. I still think you'll find a route in. Um, it's the opportunities are there. They just it's just a matter of, you know, proving the quality and 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 showing that willingness and eagerness to sort of adapt and and maybe not um, I don't know maybe not maybe not sort of target specifics very much. I, I remember coming in. I, I I just wanted to be a sports journalist, but you know the best thing that ever happened when I was learning was was being told, no, you're not going to do the sports journalism module. You're going to do you're going to learn how to write a news story. Mm. Learn a news story, how to write that. That is the it's discipline, isn't it? Yeah, like going to court, though, going to local courts yeah. and stuff. That and coroner's courts and and court, yeah, courts. That's that is everything. You, you, you can do that. If you can do that, you can you can adapt those skills to any field of journalism. You've got to write. You've got to write a good news story. You've got to recognise mm. where the story is, where the angle is, um, yeah, and you can you can apply that to any. Any, industry, any, any field of the industry and, and you'll, you'll do well. So how committed you are as well and yeah, consistent I know, I, as well. I know, I it's, I know it's difficult. I know it's horrific when you don't earn money. Of course. Um, and you're being asked to, to work hard to get this in because they don't fall in your lap, the stories. You mm. have to sort of, you have to work for it. But the, the hope is that, you know, that something goes your way and you, 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 just need that, you just need that toe in the door. And then, you know, if you've got the qualities, if you've got the skills, you can excel. Yeah, absolutely. Also, we've just been talking about the, um, the changes in 
the journalism industry with the rise of the internet and, and social media and so on. What do you think will happen to the industry in the next, say, five, ten years? We've got to find a way of making money from the internet. Um, advertising revenues seem to be going down all the time. Uh, people have tried paywalls. Um, some have worked, some haven't. Mm. Um, Guardians tried a donation scheme, which has done brilliantly initially. Be interested to see whether that, that still got the same effect in a couple of years' time. Um, it's got to be got, got to find a way. It's been, but then you know, to be fair, we've, we've probably been saying that for about five years, ten years now, um, trying to monetize the internet to make it worthwhile. I think it, look, I think it's difficult to do it when uh, I don't want to slaughter the BBC, but when the BBC, BBC exists and can put everything out um, on its website effectively for free, um, I think it's difficult then for newspaper websites or news websites to try and charge mm. people. Yeah. So they've got to offer something different, they've got to offer something that the BBC can't offer, um, that isn't just a sort of rundown of, of the day's stories or events. Um, so it's got to it's got to offer exclusive stories, like things that you can only get there, that you get there first. There, mm. uh, it's got to offer analysis that that, that is beyond compare. Um, interesting features that are different that are not they're not sort of you know mirrored elsewhere. Um, it's, yeah, it's got it's just got to attract people in and and, and convince them to subscribe to. Whether it's a pay site or not, you just got you just got to find a way of, of, of luring people to you. Um, but that's 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 a that's something that the industry's been struggling with for a, a long time. Um, and it's difficult for newspapers as well because you, you can't, by definition, you're there to find and uncover and report news. Mm. That's that is the point. So you can't then have a, a staff that's completely dedicated to writing uh, analysis features because what they're now analysing, they haven't got any news to, to analyse. They, yeah. they need to generate news exactly. and, and, and find that news first. So it's, it's, it's really, really difficult. Um, but I can't see, look, I can't see it going... Uh, it, it, I can't see newspapers suddenly... Vanishing, yeah. They, they, won't, they won't vanish. They won't vanish. The names will never vanish. I hope they stay in hard copy form for as long as possible because picking up that newspaper and, and filling the paper and just reading it mm. was it's something special and as I said going back, right back to the beginning they do that every single day it's a book they're producing yeah. every single day it's astonishing when you think about it um, I think trends always sort of they come full circle don't they um, you, can, yeah. you can talk about any industry, like music, for example. Yeah. Everything's digital, you can download, or you, you've got Spotify, streaming. Mm. But now you're going back to people want vinyl. Yeah. People, do you know what I mean? So it's going to be... CDs this, will come back soon. You know. <laughs> but I yeah. think there's always going to be a call for... I'd like to think papers. so. Uh, look, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not the right person really to ask on that because I'm in my 40s. I think the, the key will be what teenagers these days think about it or what early 20s people in their early 20s think about it and 
whether they have that affinity to newspapers still. And if you go, you know, five, ten years into the future, will you know, will my will my children um, have the same affinity to newspapers that I have? I, I don't think not in the same way. They can't have it in the same no. way because they're not as prevalent as they were. People aren't as reliant upon them in physical form as they used to be. But but the names, I, I just, the names will will be maintained. The reputations hopefully will be maintained. Um, and people will know that originally, when they look at their websites in 2055, um, at the Guardian website will still be there, or whatever it is in that. <laughs> God knows what it could be then, some virtual reality WhatsApp thing. Yeah. But um, it was a newspaper once, and it was something you actually held in your hand and read like a book. Um, you know, the Guardian website, like Daily Mail, like Mail Online, you know, they've got good websites. Um, do you think, though, that other newspaper companies, media companies, have made the most of what the internet can offer? I don't think any of them's made the most of it because nobody's made money out of it properly. Um, I know the Mail does well from its sort of the, the, the band of stories on its front pages on the, down the right hand yeah. side, people click on that. Have they made money in advertising? I don't know, you'd have to ask them. Um, These days, you have to have a good website to be, you know, respected or to, to be acknowledged. Really, you have you have to. It has to be top quality website um, or an app or whatever. It just otherwise you're a laughing stock. Um, you know, forever being you're forever frustrated when you've opened a story and suddenly there's a great big advert that's, yeah. that interrupts your yeah. reading of of copy. So. Those guys who are, who are doing that, it affects local media to more possibly than nationals. Um, it must be killing them. It must be. I mean, I can't believe people enjoy reading stuff where they don't know where they are in the story, their yep. paper, you know, pictures or adverts popping up all over the shop. But uh, if it's a necessity, that's how they get their money to, to survive, then they have to do it. Um, I, I think it's just something that will involve. Um, all the all the nationals have good websites. The Indy was the first one to, to drop its paper form and, and to go purely website. Yeah. Um, others may ultimately follow that model, I guess, at some point. But I hope, as I say, I hope not anytime soon. Mm. Have you got any plans to set up your own YouTube channel? I think this performance will probably prove that I shouldn't. No, <laughs> so I'm definitely not. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Natural. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I, I I think I would. Um, I, I really I really enjoy doing the yeah the video stuff, the the, the TV stuff. I, I I think it's something that I never thought I would do when I joined the paper. It was never going to be something that was on the agenda, really. Um, but it's great fun, and um, and the Sunday supplement, or whatever. Um, this is similar in many ways to, to that, um, but uh, yeah, YouTube, I think I'm probably a bit too old for all that, to be fair. <laughs> um, going back to, you know, press conferences um, and things like that, mm -hmm. do you feel that um, some journalists rely too much on what pundits say to then ask players and managers like, oh, Gary Neville said this, Graham Souness has said that. Do you feel that's 
I don't think it's an easy way out at times. It can be. Yeah, look, if, if a press conference, press conference is going nowhere, that, that if, um, if you're not getting anything that's going to generate a story, then flinging a, um, yeah, a, a, a pundit's opinion, if it's some, somewhat relevant, I mean, if it's like, if it's Gary Neville um, as a former England manager, maybe having a pop at, let's say, the the England women's national team who was managed by his brother, mm. that's quite interesting if, yeah. if he's having a go. I mean, I don't think it would happen, but... Um, I don't think I don't think I don't think journalists go and unless it's something that's unbelievably high profile, as in and and out, unbelievably outrageous. I, I don't think it happens that often. Uh, it might happen more in a broadcast. I mean, you have to bear in mind that the press conferences that you witness um, on club websites or or even television, I guess. Yeah, Sky. Oh, the sky yeah. Then you're watching the broadcast press conference. You're not watching yeah. the newspapers press conference. The newspaper journalists are sitting in that room waiting to have their own go. Um, so a lot of the guys who might bring up the pundits, maybe that pundit has made those comments on their television channel and they're seeking mm. a response from the man on, or the woman at the, at the top, on the top state table. Yeah. So there's a, there's a sort of vested interest mm. in getting a, a response there. Um, I don't, I, I, it, it would take something quite exceptional, as in a, a proper attack, verbal attack from a pundit, I think, to, to prompt a newspaper journalist to use the 10 minutes or so that we get as a, in an embargoed section after the broadcast press conference to, to respond to a pundit. Um, yeah. Because I think, not least because of the sort of <laughs> inbuilt confidence stroke arrogance that we'd, we'd like to think we could generate our own stories with our own mm. questions from yeah. that person rather than relying upon yeah, them else. reacting to something else. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your yeah, Dom. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming down. No worries. Too. So thanks for watching this, guys. Please subscribe and comment below and like.